Welcome back to Teaching Ears. This is episode five. My name's James Vincent. I'll be your host. And today I'd like to welcome in a very special guest, a musician, bassist, songwriter, a music artist, Craig Kickbush. Hello. Hey, Craig. <laughs> cool. Thanks for coming in. With this podcast, we're, we're talking where music meets education in all sorts of ways and forms. And also a good excuse just to catch up with you again and yeah. general nostalgia. I guess I knew you or first met you back at Kelvin Grove, primarily through my brother, one of my, my brother's friends. But also, I guess I was like, because I was playing French horn under the guise of uh, Ralph Holcran uh, back at Kelvin Grove High. Uh, you just reminded me before you were playing clarinet there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're in the stage band as well. I wasn't in that, but uh, you, you were playing keys or, or piano? I was playing, pr- yeah, piano in the stage band. Okay. And then, yeah, Sam was on bass, so. Some good times back then. <laughs> just, yeah, a lot of good times. <laughs> a lot of memories. You're, you're, you're mainly a musician. And is that what you do for your, your day job? Yeah, Would it you is. say at the moment? At the moment, well, uh, I mean, at the moment I'm not doing a lot of gigs, obviously because of COVID. Yeah. I was actually doing cruise ships for about three years so i was away a lot i would say it's generally my bread and butter but i do some website work on the side so, oh, okay cool yeah. and i'm doing a lot more of that at the moment yeah because i'm available so is that web designer or web developing or yeah a bit of developing a bit of graphic design and oh that okay sort of so oh that's handy yeah, it is handy, and you can do it from anywhere, which is great. You did a bit of a bit, a bit of actual music teaching at one point, mm. um, not necessarily probably the main thing you've been known for, but you mentioned before somewhere in the nineties you were doing something teaching clarinet. Yeah, um, yeah, I was teaching at a I was teaching grade fours to grade twelves, like an instrumental teacher in the school. Yeah, so okay. teaching clarinet, and I had a couple of bass bass um, students as well. But you know, I I didn't really have any training in terms of teaching. I was a bit of a fish out of water, and especially like, you know, you'd have a, a group of six grade fours that you're trying to control. <laughs> what yeah, like, control's the word there with music teaching, a, isn't it? A bit of a nightmare. It's <laughs> like, I think I did that for a couple of months, and then I thought, no, it's not really for me. That's not to say I wouldn't look at it in the future, but I've found that for me, teaching is, um, it sort of happens organically. You know, it's really someone will ask my opinion or, something like that or even last night for example was at my friend's place and his son is learning bass and luckily he's left-handed as well so i was like showing him a few things it's like so it's like just imparting that that knowledge where it's not like you're turning up for a lesson so yeah that's really cool i enjoy doing that because there's no pressure it's like um mentoring when when required yeah sort of thing yeah Yeah. interesting and um yeah you just mentioned left-handed bass so you're a left-handed bass player Mm. yeah so that that's interesting too in terms of finding an instrument as well. But I guess in terms of teaching, it hasn't been really been a problem. It's in, in some ways it's better because when you're facing the student, it's an exact mirror image. Yeah, it's good. I can't recall. This is embarrassing. My brother, Sam Vincent, is it? He's not left-handed bass player, is he? No, he's no, right-handed. He's right-handed. Okay. Because he was playing double bass too. So mm. there's no, there's no option there. Like, yeah, right. You have to, like, if you're playing cello, any, any orchestral stringed instrument has to be right-handed. Why is that? I think it would look weird in the orchestra if the one bow was going the wrong way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Almost aesthetic reasons. Cause, oh, uh, well, pra- and they're hitting each other with the bows or something. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> Cam- Cameron Waters, he was the lead cellist in the, okay. in the orchestra. He was left-handed, but he, I'm pretty sure, anyway, but he played right-handed. Yeah, I think I remember that guy. 
I think I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. Under the guidance of Miss Deborah, Deborah Irvine. Irvine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember catching up with a randomly first first year uni. I was telling you about my Uncle Johnny's, late Uncle Johnny's pianos up at, I didn't realise the Steinway D was quite a sought after piano back then. Mm. Lucky to have that at the time it played. That was, that was amazing pianos he had in his house. Okay, so yeah, it's almost like finding out what you didn't want. Yeah, you, know, you try these things out, and obviously, if you're a musician, you're a good one. Music teachings that can be an obvious path. So you, mm. you try it out in a school, make some money, and I guess couple, you know. the thing with teaching for me has always been, you know, you, you might be asked you to impart your knowledge, share your knowledge, or whatever, but it's kind of like, at what point do you? Is it just you know giving someone information, and then what? At what point are you actually? giving them a journey or getting them to discover things for themselves and also mm. what at what point do you start charging people for the, mm. the knowledge and experience that you have and I just think for me with teaching it's like well I've always I would feel you know that pressure if if you know someone's coming to you week after week it's like well is it my fault if they're not progressing or that sort of thing so I mean you probably can tell me that <laughs> being a teacher yourself yeah well I, I mean yeah I went, I went through a funny stage of doing it for about seven years, then I took a big break, went into this whole scratch DJ thing, mm. video game thing, came back full circle. I guess, yeah, going through a divorce and massive change in my life. It's like, okay, I'm going to go back to what I know, losing my job, mm. get back into music teaching. So it's kind of forced there, but it's like, oh, it's just like an old pair of shoes. Um, yeah, okay. I used to <laughs> it was quite easy to fall, sort of fall back, uh, back into, and there's some good things about it. And, yeah, I'm glad to be doing it now. But you must mm. have your, I mean, it's like anything, I guess, but, like, you must have your students that want to be there and students that are being forced yeah. to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you can, yeah, there's interesting psychology and power plays with the parents on that note as well. It's like, why aren't they getting better? It's like, well, if they're not practising. And then the teacher points the finger to you, at you and then you two point the finger at the kid and then yeah. we all go round and round and round. It's like, and- what, what are we trying to achieve here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, there's, there's interesting dimensions to that. But you would have uh, been, you would have received training about that sort of thing. Uh, uh, that's kind of psychology dealing with parents was more, uh, no, that's not what you meant. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no, I think that was more, that was more hands on learning um, and experience. I guess in recent years, I, I don't, I, like I've been running a, a, a music teaching mentor thing for about three years now. Started at Browning Street, brought it over to this place. And yeah, some of that's been discussed in, in more and more detail. Yeah, it's like the, um, the trinity of a parent, the student and the teacher. And yeah, sometimes finding solvable out- outcomes to achieve the same thing, even though you might be disagreeing, getting to the same place anyway. Yeah, like for me personally, I don't like the, I don't, I'm not really comfortable having the parent in the room. But some teachers think that's like Suzuki teachers think that's that's essential and an important part of the philosophy. Yeah, no, I don't remember receiving any training about that. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that particular part of it. Yeah, I think you can learn that through other jobs and, and other means. I'm sure it can be be trained. Yeah, there's, some, there's some psychology play there. But look, I, I was going to ask: Is there things you like or value about uh, music education? Yeah, there is. I think it it's a good way to open up possibilities, you know, exposing people to different music or different ways of thinking about something and also fast-tracking something, looking for technical things that will make a better player, that sort of thing. So mm. it's very worthwhile. I think depending on how, how it's done, you know, if someone picks up a guitar and they don't know anything about guitar, then they might come up with a totally original way of playing that they wouldn't have come up with if someone had sat them down and say, okay, here's a G chord, whatever. So mm. I think it's there's a balance between 
exploring your own creativity and R&D, for, for lack of a better word, with, with an instrument and yeah. sort of being naive about an instrument and then creating a, a whole different kind of use for it even. I think that's kind of cool. So I think teachers might look out for that where they can see that it might stifle creativity in a way. It's like a, a balance there. I guess teaching, apart from teaching someone the basics of an instrument, it's it's giving them the skills to discover for themselves and educate themselves as well. Yeah, that, that, that path of self-learning, I guess I find it too with students in the, the YouTube generation, they've learned a lot themselves. Mm. And not just kids, there's a lot of, I particularly find, very ambitious, particularly male adults between 30 and 45 and they've come and they've learned all this stuff for the last year or two and they want to help to be fast-tracked they've learned taught all themselves off youtube and there's a valid way of learning i guess things that come up sometimes is you know piano teaching for example is that there's fingering that they kind of throw out the window or and and that's where you can assist the teacher but i I don't i don't hoo-ha that that kind of learning i think i guess a lot of kids are trained to video learning these days so yeah it's just just different it's it's is it is and like you know the level of musicians that are coming out like up and coming young musicians now, like they've had access to all this. It's like mm. I want to know how to slap or something. And it's like, okay, I don't have to go to a teacher per se. I can just mm. watch a video, and it's like I just do that. Or but mm. but I there's also I think that's gonna we might find down the track it might be amazing technically, but there might be some gaps in the knowledge, the theory of like okay, I'm putting my finger here because the video tells me to do it, but I don't really know why. You know, so yeah, there's certain ac- having access to a teacher or a person. Uh, someone's even just a personality. Why you might seek out a teacher, or at least more and more in the future, their their particular slant, their pers- particular perspective. Because yeah, there's a lot, a lot of the information is just sitting out there now. Although yeah, like you say, there's some might be gaps and depth missing of the whys. But it, it does seem like almost who can play the fastest, who can <laughs> put the most different techniques into to, into a piece or something, rather than it's almost like a Olympics, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Olympics in a way, and, and you get all these 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 uh, amazing leap skilled players but um something you marvel at rather than enjoy for the music yeah maybe yeah. it's like a spectacle a spectacle <laughs> yeah but then <laughs> you can only watch so much of that before you're like well it, it's not special anymore it's it, it doesn't mean it what does it mean what am i supposed to think about this apart from well you're as good as that guy that's you're impressive. as good as that person yeah. but it leaves you feeling a little empty perhaps <laughs> okay yeah Interesting. Yeah. What do you think makes you unique as an educator? But I, I realise you may not. That may not be necessarily the appropriate question. But uh, if you were to reflect on that, well, when, you, when you're telling people, helping I, people I out, un- and- I think I'm uniquely not very good at it. <laughs> 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 Only because I haven't had the experience, I suppose. And you know, with most things in my life, I tend to overcomplicate things. So I probably have a tendency to maybe overload people with too much information rather than be, be or, or think, oh, they might be bored with the basics. They might give them more quick. Yeah, uh, it's not about quick. It's just, I suppose, if someone came to me and said, I want to learn bass, it's like, well, what do you want to play? You need some context and there'll be some yeah. context about that person too. Maybe they can. Yeah, some people, you're not giving them enough information quicker enough. They, they want it faster. But it is amazing mm-hmm. with, with kids, though, how quickly they can pick stuff up. It's pretty crazy. So... Yeah, I've got this kid at the moment. He just he's hell bent on learning the the Seinfeld, some yeah. of the Seinfeld bass on piano though. Yeah, he's, just, he's playing it yesterday. I go, whoa, that's that's amazing. Yeah, brought back memories of me thinking, asking my brother, oh, we like that bass, and my brother uh, correcting me saying, actually, that's not bass, that's played on the keyboard, James. I go, oh wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
live and learn. Who's one of the most influential, I can say music teacher for you, but it may not be. It might be an artist, a recording artist or a songwriter, but it may have been a teacher or a friend or mentor. Well, I would say my organ teacher because I started on organ. Um, mm. Okay. Yeah, that was my first instrument. So you had the organ at home like yeah, a... Yeah, yeah, like a, like not, not a Hammond, but like an electronic... Like a Wurlitzer? It was a Con, so like ah. C-O-N-N, that was the... The brand of it. It's okay. like like those like a, a Yamaha Electone kind of organs. Yes. Yeah. So it had the, the kind of pretty cheesy sounds on it, to be honest. Yeah. But, but you know, like we had that for ages. And um, But my, my organ teacher, he was really into jazz. The first thing he'd do when like at the start and the end of the lesson, he'd actually play for us. Like, mm. It was almost like a mini concert. He's like, Here's yeah, it. nice. So it was almost like he'd teach you about a certain chord progression or something. And he'd say, okay, here's how you it demonstrate here's how this works. Oh, hang on. So you're saying that for us, so there was a group of you. Oh, well, my brother was learning as well. That's Gavin. Yeah, Gavin. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So he actually started and then, and then I got involved as well. And how old are you when you started that? I think I was in grade two. Seven. seven. Around seven. Yeah, yeah. That's when I started piano lessons. So yeah, interesting. Okay. You know, he, he went through theory and, and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, but it was always more the jazz. Really? Uh, element to it. And he also was great at using the full organ, like all the sounds, all the rhythms, everything. Mm. So he'd be constantly flicking the stops and everything. So he'd, he'd demonstrate how, how to get the most out of the instrument, which is great. Can I, can I ask his name? Or? Uh, Barry Moore is his name. And is he a perf- performer or done any recordings or that you he, know of? Well, he was playing, uh, he was uh, in the Salvation Army. Okay. Um, so he was playing at the, the church and everything. And I was playing in this this big band called the youth for christ big band yeah and his daughter was playing trumpet in it so yeah so he's very musical family i'm not sure how we got in contact with him to be honest but yeah i would say he was a big influence yeah. so it's like your first influence and pretty much you yeah. think it's one of your biggest as well yeah at least yeah. that's amazing okay but i would say um also ralph hochran would be a big influence um, oh really yeah okay. i mean i think he left his mark on all of us <laughs> yeah yeah no, i'm, I'm ever <laughs> thankful for, for ralph yeah i learned a lot about person about yeah, self-respect self-discipline yeah when you think you can give up and then he sort of managed to turn that around i i, I remember i just had a gut full one day i was i was going through a bad you know i was kind of a bad high school kid and i started so in grade 10 i gave up piano yeah i gave up this is i'm just fighting i'm fighting with them every week i'm well you know i'm not f- i turn up late and i get blown up again going like i don't know how many times i want to keep doing this mm. and i went all right up to you know he used to come and <laughs> you'd get angry at you and, and you'd turn up and then and one day i just i turned yeah mr hockman wants to see you you'd get mm-hmm. these sort of passed on messages through home group or so okay i was, I was going to give up today and why weren't you at bed and i said oh look you know it's it, this isn't working it's i'm probably just going to quit and I don't think it was quite expected. I remember you said something like, oh, you're bone idle lazy. And I said, yeah, you're right. I am. And <laughs> <laughs> What are you going to do with it? <laughs> well, that night he then called up my parents, uh, talked them and then convinced that they convinced me and totally turned me around. But, yeah, so that was, yeah, almost gave up, but it uh, didn't quite let me go. I thought, oh, that was a good move. I guess, yeah, I mean, I was reflecting on, on his, you know, teaching style and it was like, well, you know, he, he, um, he was serious about it and... Mm. Like, you weren't there to muck around, but yeah. he'd get the best out of you, and he sort of demanded nothing less than excellence, really. Yes. But yep. when it worked, it was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's amazing times, mm. amazing performances. Were you there for the – you would have 
I'm sure you would have been there for that. We did a, quite a good performance of Vorjak's New World. Yeah. Remember doing that? Yeah. We did um, West Side Story. Mm. Oh, and that was incredibly difficult. In fact, they had to get, I think, Shane Purnell. Okay. To, he went, I think he'd left, but he'd gone to QUT and they got him back to play first trumpet. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the West Side Story. It was Betty Nicholson and I think even Bruce Highway. He was, uh, he was like a stagehand, he was telling me the other day on that. And Dallas had a lot to say too. Unfortunately, the audio, I, the audio cut off and I wish he had a lot to say about West Side Story, that, that particular episode. Yeah, no, Ralph had a yeah, very high bar and sometimes it just took you a long time. And yeah, you could reject it. It was a kind of, what did he used to say? It was a, it's not a democracy. You can either choose to be, you know, you got a democracy. You can choose to be here or not to be here. But. <laughs> and even but, though you chose to, uh, not be, well, you tried not to be there, you still ended up there. That's right. And the decision would ultimately be myself. I remember, yeah, getting through to my parents and myself and personally reaching out, for want of a better phrase, that worked. And yeah, through uni, I remember really, it became like a mentor to me and I really, you know, sort of ralphed up at that point. I tried out all these things and all his, uh, you know, his, um, pedagogy techniques of cycling lesson plans and music teaching i found that very effective and you know to this day mm. it just sort of works about and his idea of focus and his idea of i don't know if you ever do you remember he used to, used to explain about breaking focus and regaining focus and he'd do that yeah right okay on the lesson like when he's m- m- clowning around messing about mm. blah, blah 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 i'm hairy da, 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 two three yeah. four but doing that and trying to bring you back in it's probably great for kids all sorts of reasons being able to lose your focus and regain it again it was sort of an agility and yeah because there was a bit of clowning around as well but there's obviously a method to it <laughs> <laughs> one of the coolest things that he did for me was on the tasmanian tour I think, yeah, I was playing keys in the stage band. I'd written a couple of instrumental tunes and he allowed us to, as a small combo, I think Gavin, my brother Gavin was playing saxophone. Sam might have been playing bass, I think. So as part of the concert, we were allowed to perform two or three of my tunes, which was really cool. Oh, wow. So I was like... Was that maybe when I first saw you playing, like stage band, and it started going, oh, what are those chords he's using? <coughs> maybe. May- possibly. I think it used to be called stage band, but I'm not... Stage band... Yeah, stage band, I think. It's like an E flat, E flat seven chord going to a, no, no, G minor seven going to E flat seven. I've been thinking, wow, that's mind blowing. I don't know if that was some of your chords. I had to go home and work that out. <laughs> clever chords. Yeah, yeah, clever chords. <laughs> I think. But they were good. It's like, yeah, wow, you could do more with chords than just, yeah, one, three, five. And, mm. um, but you, and you were probably learning about that when you were much younger. What then? You, well, yeah, through Barry, my organ teacher, who was teaching mm. us. And, and also, um, just uh, general listening and, and general your listening. Brother. Yeah, I'd, and I'd say that was listening to a lot of Spiragar and Sting. Oh, yes, yeah. Spy- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, yeah, yeah, I remember you were like, kind of like the Spiragar and Sting guy back yeah. then, and there's probably a whole lot of other, like, I, uh, yeah, I, I ended up appreciating them probably in the last couple of years more so. I returned for forever LPs and mm-hmm. this and that, go, oh, wow, this is what Craig was talking about, and all that jazz fusion stuff. And it's like, yeah. yeah, this is some really good stuff. And it had a very clear and very almost transparent quality, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, it was just mm. very intricate. So I guess that informed my harmonic decisions or whatever with, with writing and, <laughs> and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. I had private clarinet lessons during high school with uh, John Zappier. Yeah, Is that the KG? Yeah, I was still having lessons at KG as well. Yeah, so oh, it wasn't through there, but it was, it was so oh, private, private sure. lessons. Sure, yeah. I get you. Yeah, yeah, house, yeah. He used to, you know, a lot more jazz stuff as well. Any also, examples? Also the, oh, just like, you know, we'd have a two five one progression. He's like, you can play this over it. You can, you know, okay. that sort of thing. But he also took me through the more classical repertoire as well. So I think I was 
planning to do grade five uh, mm. clarinet, but I never got around to it because I'm kind of lazy. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, someone's laziness is a it's 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 a it's a it's a reason in disguise, you know. So, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to I, not... I don't think I ever would have used it, so it's like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> what do you think makes you special as a musician or unique as a musician? And I, it might be hard if you're humble, but I don't see anything. Oh well, I guess everyone's unique in that they have their own experiences of what music they're exposed to, what they've grown up with. Also, playing three different instruments helps, I guess. For me, the keyboard or, you know, piano or organ or whatever you want to call it is sort of my go-to instrument, especially the organ. You've got three different, you've got the bass in your feet, you've got the chords in your left hand and the melody in the right. So I think it's a great instrument for composing with and mm. so you can do all three things at once. I remember put shoving a 57 into the bass speakers, one of the, one of the Greens organs, one of the top of the world it's as they had there and Bruce Highway was there and we were recording this bass line. Yeah, that's on a little four track recorder. It's mm. massive bass. Like yeah. Massive yeah. frequencies. So I guess the speaker's so large, right? So the yeah. um, the membrane, what do you call that? The speaker cone. The, the speaker cone, yeah. Mm. I, I mean it could have had a twelve or fifteen in there even. So it's huge, yeah. Mm. It's like, whoa, I have to tone that down in the mix. <laughs> um <laughs> so I mean so much so that like I'm doing a solo covers project at the moment oh, with, yeah. with the aim to get work eventually. What sort of work are you? Oh, just general just gigs? General, yeah, gen, just general gigs. So, um, do you want to do any more cruise work? I will. I'll do some more when, when cruising starts again. And that's a whole other thing to talk about. But um, yeah, I've heard, yeah, I've got friends and previous and exes and stuff. They've done cruise work and it's like a, it's a thing. I think Daniel, Danny Tesla was talking about it too. It's like being a pop star for a while, everyone. You've got a captive audience. You've got a captive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, literally, they can't go anywhere. Yeah, cruising's been great for mm-hmm. me in terms of, um, so I, I play in a band called The Lazy Lays, which is a ukulele band, but it's electric ukuleles. Electric ukuleles. Yeah, so they look like little electric guitars, but they're four-string tune like a ukulele. I know my brother plays uh, a uke bass. Ba- uke yeah, bass. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got it? an acoustic one, I think, same one as Sam's, and then I've right. got a, a solid body little four-string bass as well. But it's it's tuned like a regular bass. About your basses, like I, I just mm. it just came back to me all the basses I've seen you performing with, and I, I'm not sure if you ever built your own basses or you had this white one. Still Alexa, well, there was a band you were playing in. I saw you at uh, Uber. Remember that? Oh, gig? Ecliptic. Ecliptic. Yeah. You had some amazing exotic-looking bass. Yeah, I've still got that. Yeah, how many basses would you say you have? At the moment, I've got, oh, excluding the uke basses, I've got probably four or five. But each of them is quite different. So I've got a six, a five, and a four fretless. And then I've got another six, which is in Thailand. Okay. So, yeah. So, So, um, but the white bass, yeah, I've had that. That was made in Germany. It was a, it's called a bass lab, and it's, Got a MIDI pickup in it. Mm. I can okay. plug it into a yeah. Roland um, guitar synth and get, or any other keyboard and gets keyboard other or other sounds, or other sounds, which is great for duo stuff or in a band context, you know, mm. like I was doing with Ecliptic and I've done with a bunch of other people. It's like, Ecliptic's it's, still going? Not really. Mm. No, we did one album and then it sort of became uh, another band called Thirstlands with mm. one less guitarist. So. <laughs> <laughs> and a different drummer. So we did a few recordings as well. But, yeah, it's really just a, you know, every few years we get together and do some tunes. But we've, There's yeah. bands like that. I'm, I'm in a band. Well, I'm in a band. It's like we're not anymore. But every now, every couple of years we do another gig. Jimmy Styles and Easy Company. Oh, yeah. Tim Hills and all those guys. And Yeah, it's like you think it's not going to happen again and then he revs it up and mm. someone wants a big swing band. Yeah, with the bassist thing, it's, it's 
yeah, having the fretless is great for recording and, and doing that sort of thing. Um, and just the sounds you can get out of that. Yeah, it's good to have a few different options. And then a standard jazz, like a five-string jazz. Probably what I use for rock gigs or it's got the media sound. So. Did you, uh, have you ever played double bass or no. never got into that? Well, because uh, I'm left-handed as well. There's, of course. There's yeah, no... Yeah, like I mention. mean, you could probably have one custom-made, but it's. I've never really had any interest in it, to be honest. I, I admire people who can play it, but like it's not for me. And did you build... <laughs> have you tried building any basses? I had a custom-made bass built for me. It was, had a three-octave neck. So what's that, 30, 32 frets or something? Now, hang on. What, what, no, how 36. many octaves do you usually get in a... My, my white bass has got two octaves, so that's 24 frets. So, wow, okay. Oh, so there'd be that plus another 12, yeah. And a standard bass usually has it's two got, octaves or...? It, no, it's an octave and a half. Wow. So, you're, yeah, you're three octaves. That's yeah. A, so, the, <laughs> it looked like a mandolin at the top. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was interesting, but yeah, it it was a five string bass. But I think I soon realised that what I really wanted was a six string bass to get those higher. <laughs> and then I guess there's sevens and eights. Oh yeah. Oh, I had yeah. a I had an eight string Chapman stick once for That's a while. Right. I think I yeah yeah. I remember I, something about that. Sometimes I think oh I shouldn't have got rid of it, but like it's it's basically a tapping instrument, so you can play. It's sort of like a piano on a keyboard so you've got a mm. bass side and a melody side oh wow and okay. you're like so i was playing trying to play like bark two flat inventions on it and really that sort of yeah. Thing. yeah so it was a bit of a mind bender but you can also use it for just playing standard bass like and the thing that got me into it was um sam lent me pink floyd momentary lapse of reason this the oh, cd yeah. in high school and yeah, I, saw, I love that. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. And I saw on the um, on the credits it said Tone Eleven was playing bass and then stick, and I was like, "What's that?" And because he plays stick on some of the all right the um, tracks on that album, and obviously he's played for um, Peter Gabriel as well. Okay. Yeah. So that's got stick all over it as well. So so that's what got me into it. So that's that's a thing of like you know, I mean, talking about you know Sam and Tom going through school together, like we'd all. Mm suggest music for each other to you know we'd all mm. discover music together or i'd suggest something you end up becoming your own sort of music mentors in a, in a sense in terms of well, at least new listens okay listen to this yeah. artist that artist. But, huh? but like we never shoved it down each other's throats or anything <laughs> you know yeah yeah well you're your mate, mates your friends um you're like a crew yeah, you guys were awesome i remember that and you got i was wondering between you and sam is obviously i felt that you had you must have had an influence on sam as a musician or bass player it's like oh wow i don't know if it was happening to each other you know in a sense or yeah definitely um i mean we sort of both started playing bass around the same time so okay um, and when was that well that was probably i think it was grade nine around grade nine or something like that so is that 1990 yeah Time yeah. for the guru. Yeah, time for the guru. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you guys both end up, you know, being phenomenal bass players. And yeah, I remember that kind of unit that bring, and you know, Tom as well. You're all sort of mm. influencing each other. And in a way, I guess I view that as some form of, you know, teaching or, hey, I can do this, you can do that. Or, hey, how, how about listen to this, listen mm. to that. Or just talking about recommending influence as well. Like I did, I heard someone the other day say that. The more someone recommends that I should listen to something, probably the chances that I'm going to like it are very much lower. <laughs> because yeah, it's, like, it's like, listen to this. shoving it down my throat. Awesome. It's like, oh, well, I already don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> because you're <laughs> trying to get me to like it. It's like there's this like, expectation that I'll come back and go, yeah, that was Sort great. of 
a preaching and sort of a yeah, yeah. evangelizing of it. Whereas yeah. you know, it's such a personal thing, music taste, and they mm. it overlaps in some areas and some some it doesn't. And uh, going back to your original question of what makes me unique, I suppose it, it's kind mm. of like well, it really is just your all your experiences, I guess, and you you, know, you, take, you mm. yeah you um you take some and and you leave some bits out, and that's or and you also your limitations. Like I'm not the fastest, most technical player on any instrument that I play. Mm. So I just do what I can with what I have, I suppose. And, <laughs> you know. There's a self-awareness and you must like, explore those limits. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not to say that I don't try sometimes, but, you know, to... You seem really clever to me back in the day. I just want to go, holy moly. Yeah. Oh, well, I, yeah. I don't know if I got any cleverer. <laughs> Whereas other people got cleverer, so... Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. It's a, yeah, it can be easy to be impressed by something when you don't have the school yourself to do what they're doing. You know, you know Bruce Highway, right? Yeah. There's, there's a thing we had with scratching, I guess, and we didn't know what necessarily what we're doing. We'd copy, watch, learn, and you get this kind of dual mentorship. You go, Look what I can do. Oh, okay. And you go home and copy them, and then you come up with something else or unique, and they're trying. You try. It's almost a friendly competitiveness and mutual teaching. I just wonder, is there a name for that? Because it's something else. I, I guess I yeah might have seen like yourself and Sam, but I might be. I may not have uh, read that right. Yeah, I, I guess in a way. I mean, I don't know what you call it. I, I guess you'd, you'd call it going through the experience of discovering that instrument at the same time. And I was always more, you know, I was always attracted to using effects and that sort of thing and, and not sounding like a bass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Taking um, the bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've got a whole Radsters tape where we just have a delay pedal and just... <laughs> And so just, I've got a yeah. yeah look I've got to educate just anyone listening out there. Uh, my brother Sam Vincent and their friend uh, Thomas Green, uh, they had a group called the Radsters. You could call I guess a group, a, a crew. They did lots of albums, and I, I did ask to try to get them all at the same time. But I think I'm going to get them in in parts, and maybe in the future. Yeah, no, it might be. Yeah, like you turn up at Christmas Day, and suddenly there's a Radsters album under the Christmas tree. <laughs> It's like, you guys have personally recorded for my family. And it's like, wow, okay. Yeah. And they're really good tracks. A lot of time and effort went into them. And you just mentioned before I asked how many of these albums you did. We had a picture of one, and I think you informed me those. Well, how many did you say? Well, I yeah, I spent a lot of time digitising all of because it was all recorded on cassette. Nice one. So I recorded them all onto DAT at some yeah. point. One year when I had nothing to do. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah. And so I looked, Archiving. Yeah, I had a look, and there were 57 different recordings. Sort of sessions. Yeah, mm. so there could be more than that, but that's, that's amazing. I've got. That's now, a lot. And it's hard to get, you, you must get, it's like a craft, you know, you're bound to get better at what you're doing, putting that much time and effort. Uh, I was going to ask you too, you had, I saw somewhere you started building your own rig. So the last five years, it was like a, I don't know if it was for synthesizer, it was like a gigging rig and you got busy with the, with a, a welder or something you'd built something i think it had like a keyboard and a laptop it was just like a stand maybe yeah uh, no that, okay. that was for my my solo thing that i'm doing now so okay yeah so i i've actually got bass pedals but i built the enclosure for that and it's got all the audio interface in it and everything so okay i'm running it all off um ableton so there's that then there's a piano a digital piano in the middle and then there's a keyboard on top so it's basically like going back to my organ roots i guess except there's a piano in the middle <laughs> so man it reminds me of the, the, the herbie hancock butterfly cover or something it's got just playing this thing and you're going out on a journey so yeah it's it, it's fun yeah. well, and, and, and what's the name of your is you start under your own name yeah 
Yeah. And Craig Kickbush? Okay. Yeah. Or Craig K, it could be. I'm not really sure. Craig yet. K, okay. Because yeah. I looked at, looked you up on Spotify. I found one thing later. Yeah. Like the track featuring Gabriel, Gabriel Lynch. Yeah. 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 I met Gabriel when I was living in Thailand in Bangkok. Gabriel's from, from Melbourne and he's a singer. He's a great singer songwriter. In fact, and he's now in KL and he's, uh, doing, writing jingles and commercials and all that. I think KL, is that Kuala Lumpur? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's there at the moment. Yeah, I, I came up with this this tune and a melody, and I don't think I'm the best lyricist. <laughs> so I said, hey, Gabriel, would you mind singing and writing some lyrics for this? And mm. so we collaborated on that. Yeah, cool. And then a mate of mine, um, Daryl Irvine, did the um, a video for it. In relation to our old music teacher? No. No. I don't think so. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask him. <laughs> D. Uh, Irvine, yeah. <laughs> a different, oh, a different D. Irvine. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. It was that your only? It, it can't be your only solo release. I remember seeing, like, even back at high school, you'd be making your own. Hey, Craig's done another album, and has he? Yeah, you yeah. record it because yeah. Well, I, I did. <laughs> I did. Um, I did like a serious, like, full-length album called Dark Terrain. I haven't really released it, but you can find it on. I think it's on my YouTube channel. Like, you can listen to it. So, have you still got a MySpace page? A MySpace no, page? No, no. I think mine's still there. Oh, really? Okay. Well, it's just like these graveyards of social medias, you know, yeah. you do, 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 and then it just sits there for a... Okay, yeah, so it's, right. it's out there, though. Yeah. yeah, and then I did, a like, a, a an EP called Disturbed Little Boy, and that was kind of more about kind of like sarcastic kind of songs. <laughs> right. It was a whole different thing. And then I did two uh, Christmas albums under the moniker Craig Croombush. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> so it's hard to find. They're okay. very loosely... <laughs> loosely uh, Attributed to Christmas. Yes. Very much like the Radster's Christmas album. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Craig Croonbush was sort of a, an alter ego. It was kind of inspired, inspired by my dad, actually. Really? Because he, he and mum used to sing at, um, at church all the time and he had a bit of a croony voice and it was, yeah. Oh, right. So you got, yeah, you, you yeah, your family music roots run pretty deep. Mm. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it still happens, but I think Sam told me once they, every time they put the Christmas tree up every year, they put Craig Croonbush on. Like, oh, really? Yeah. A very Croonbush Christmas, you know. So. <laughs> they probably do. Yeah, I'm always fighting to get uh, Deck the Halls by um, King Singers on. But, um, oh, yeah, yeah they, they put a lot of stuff on. So, yeah. You know, that's the stuff I've done myself, I guess. But also when I was in Bangkok, I met up with an Italian musician, uh, Bruno Brugnano, and he's kind of one of the top producers in Thailand. He's right, doing all scores and, you know, work for the producing pop records and that sort of thing. Okay. But he's a great jazz guitarist as well. So so we played in a trio over there. Then we recorded two albums. So one was called Bangkok New Trio. Hence, right. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then another one. So that was a trio. And then there was a another thing called the Bangkok Next project, which okay. had more people involved. Basically, he and I wrote all the tracks on it. That was really cool. Can you get them on Spotify? Uh, yep, they're on Spotify. A, a lot of the songs that were on the Bangkok Next project were songs that some of them I'd written in high school. So, hmm. yeah, so some of them were really old. So it was interesting to revisit those. And, and obviously in the hands of some great musicians that they sort of came alive. So it was really cool to, to hear that. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that one, actually. And that's probably one of the better things I've done, I'd say. So just okay. in terms of writing and you know, having a production that, that I'm happy with. You're proud, yeah. Yeah, so it's cool. I, I guess there's an idea now of, you know, there's, there's perfectionism and doing the, of being, being very prolific like a prince. Do you think some of, you know, perfectionism can be stifling in, in the sense that 
it stops you, it slows down your workflow and you're kind of better off trying to hit your 86% than always going for that 95 or, you know, 100% yeah. just in terms of getting stuff out, I'd, progressing. I'd rather work quickly and just sort of move on to the next thing and mm. even if it's, I mean, that's there's probably some detriment to that in that there's probably stuff that I'm not totally happy with, but it just I just live with it and get used to it. In the meantime, you've written a, a whole bunch of other new stuff. That's mm. But I, I don't put myself under any pressure to write anything. It's just when it happens. When an idea does happen, it's pretty strong usually, and, and I just go with it. I'm sort of getting better at letting that happen, and, and it's it's sort of coming pretty easy now. So, But I, I still don't go, I've got to write a tune today or, or that sort of thing. So I do. I try to do one once a week, and yeah, sometimes it's very forced. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Give myself four hours a week to write another tune, put it out, write another tune. It's good though. It's kind of, it just, I kind of need that structure. Yeah. Composition practice. What's the term for it? Composition. Well, I guess it's composition practice. Like, mm. I guess if you, you're practicing putting those ideas and developing them, developing. It's kind of, except yeah. then I'm releasing the practice as well. So yeah. every week on Spotify, I release another, another track, whether I like it or not. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it forces me to make, Pressure decisions, I think. Yeah, and sometimes the perfectionism does kick in. I say, like, okay, I'm going to take another week. I really like this song. I'm not going to just put it to bed now. I need to, you know, mm. but I try not to do that. That's not to say you can't revisit those and delete know. them and put another well, version up. Yeah, I've tried. Or, or, or it, it might <laughs> form a part of something else as well. You know, it was interesting revisiting some of those old compositions of mine. And I think there was one that was originally in 6 8 and I changed it to 4 4 just to see how it would work and ended up it being in 4 4 on the yeah. new album. So it's like, okay, well, that's that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It sort of takes on a, it's a different piece almost. The different feel. I was going to say, I think we've talked about this, like, how's your time at Calvin Grove shaped you as a musician? Is that yeah, something you're talking before with? Well, I'd say, I'd say between. Between the Radsters and Ralph, shake me. Two polarities. <laughs> Fair enough. But the reason I went to Kelvin Grove, oh, partly because my brother went there first. He went there because it was at the time it was either you went to Kelvin Grove or Wavell Heights. They had the best music programs. Mm. So it was actually known. And they had that musical, what was it called, the Excellence in Music program at the, mm. going at the time. So, I wish I did that. I stupidly did physics and chemistry and I failed miserably. I should have done that music excellence. It's like, I'm already good at that. I thought, I'm good at this. I don't need to do it. I'm going to do something else that I was really bad at and failed. But yeah, anyway. I actually can't remember if I did do it. You can't Yeah? Yeah. I'm really not sure. <laughs> Being smarter now in hindsight to lean into what came easy, you know, mm. than just to do something different. You're trying tasting all this stuff when you're a kid and you go, try this, try that. And following on from that, it's like, I'm glad, I, you know, I'm very glad I, I chose. I mean, I'm sure Wavell Heights would have been fine as well because I remember every band competition was always between pretty much them or us. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I don't remember that. What was, uh, we used to go to Chandler and stuff yeah. on those comps. Yeah. Uh, Megan Holkren posted some um, really old video of us playing at one of them. That's right. Yeah, I screenshot one, one of them and yeah, tagged cool. me and Tomo and that. Yeah, that was that was that was awesome to see. I want to see more of that. Yeah. Oh, I think there is more, <laughs> so I'll have to chase her up a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was great. It's great um, seeing that. You know, if I had any regret about university I went, I probably should have gone, like Sam and Tom ended up going to, and yourself ended up going to QUT. Are you doing musical composition at the con? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Diploma? So it was a diploma it? of music, so it was a three-year course. Still pretty full on. But because I, you know, I don't really have a classical background, the composition approach was very classical, very art music kind of and at the, at the I was, time, I yeah, guess, yeah. And I was kind of still wanting to write jazz instrumentals and that sort of thing. So, mm. so what happened was I, I ended up hanging out with the jazz department more than anything. And I think I even switched in the last six months. Oh, that's good. To the jazz yeah. course. 
had some bass lessons. That was kind of cool. I remember talking to Sam and Tom, like, what are you doing at uni? They'd be like, oh, well, they've given us this five-minute piece of video. We've got to score it. It's like, oh, well, we're not doing that. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they, they need some cool stuff. They kind of here. do say, you know, that, mm. that university for the real world, maybe it is true. But, you know, <laughs> you know, that's real-life stuff was, that you might actually have to do. Whereas, Yeah, it was pretty progressive at the time, and I, I, I believe it still is too. So they're quite forward-thinking at QT. Like, meanwhile, I was writing a, you know, concerto for cello and egg vita, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I really did. Yeah. Oh, that's jogging a memory now, Craig. This is off script, but do you remember um, I recorded a song called Trolley Hunter, and I think you came in and did the drum the drum session for it at some oh, ungodly hour of the morning? Yes, uh, I do remember that. It was 2 o'clock in the morning or 1 in the morning. Yeah. It was, it did the part, it was like one or two takes, and it's like, that'll do. Mm. Oh, it was good what you did, but it was just, it was very disorganised recording. I'm still proud of that song. I thought it was a very funny song. I'd love to hear it. Got it on DAP. Trans- I've got an MP3, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, swing it to you. <laughs> yeah, I've, got got a, uh, I've got a version of you doing a monk tune. Uh, you should well. hear Wayne sing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to Monk's Mood. Yeah. Well, That's right, Kathy W on the brushes. On the brushes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Carrying the percussion. <laughs> Carrying the percussion. Yeah. 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 So, but um, the good thing, well, when you mentioned <laughs> now, All right. Now you mentioned studios. Um, yes. That was the cool thing about the con was like, all the Synology students had to record bands or whatever for folios. So I'd often do the graveyard shift, like you turn up at, I think it was 10 o'clock at night and go mm. at 6 in the morning. Yeah, they had a big Neve console in there. It was awesome. Wow. So I could just bring in my own compositions and record. And I'm sure you, you would have done that at QUT as well. Yeah, even after I was officially finished the degree, I somehow still had the password to the computer labs. So I'd go in there recording Alan Clark songs, the beats to use at home. <laughs> To yeah. the moist crew to make songs out of. It's like, oh, wow, they still haven't changed the passcode. Oh, may as well use these computers. But, yeah, mm. you, you, you make use of what you have at the time and to get it out. But I guess these <laughs> days secondary schools have all that stuff, <laughs> studios and all yes. that, so they're so much more accessible, whereas back then it was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. You know, you get, oh, yeah. Garage band on your phone now, right? Mm. So it's, that's a, it's a different world. It is, yeah. Has COVID-19 affected your life as a musician? Mm. Um more general well i mean i yeah as i as i said I, I was cruising doing a lot of cruising the last three years the last cruise i went on was in january this year you went on that boat that was docked in sydney no you know obviously that stopped now to be honest by the end of three years it was like i was away so much and mm. you know it was getting pretty exhausted to be honest because you it's get time on, to take a break yeah, yeah. so Time to take a break, and I've been with the Lazy Lows, the band that was playing on the cruise ships. We've started writing some original material now, so we've sort of nearly finished an album, so it's like... it's Yeah, cool. Like, you always go on the cruise ship because you're on there for a week, and you only have to play three sets a day, so it's like you think, oh, we're going to spend all this time recording and writing, and but you don't. So, Working and then recovering yeah, sort of thing. pretty much. Or, you know, there's always something to do on the, on the ship. Whether it be you know you got to go a, a drill or something or you know yeah right just just it's a completely different world really I've heard I keep hearing that it's like a its own world oh yeah in a, a country sort of like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's it can be extremely good and it can be extremely frustrating as well so I heard um, Danny Tesla mentioning for him as cruise life he's spoken in a previous episode he says people treat you like you're famous. They come up and talk to you, trying to have a meal in private, and then you sort of lose oh, your privacy. Yeah, you can't get like you know. Once people know who you are, like if it's a seven day cruise, by the third day you can't go anywhere without 
people wanting our chat and whatever, which is, which is, that's part of the job, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you just can't sit, go out on deck and it's like. And be anonymous. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's the band, because we've done that for, for so long, the band's built a bit of a following. Like we played up at Airlie Beach, I think a month ago. Yeah. And we had about three different groups fly up just to see us. It's like. That's unheard of in anything I've played in before. It's like, yeah. So you know, the, there's a very there's a real dedication there with people like the band. So it's yeah, cool. that's amazing. So in terms of COVID, cruising will resume at some point. I'll do some more cruising, but it's actually been good to have a break. And you know, I actually felt my creativity come back. Yeah, <laughs> so, like a forced yeah, forced break. Yeah, and my website works increased because I'm around more to do that you know it's actually been good yeah cool for, for me i mean obviously it's been terrible for other people but you know we we, we did a lot of pivoting with the online we fast as a music school had to hear it been some music we had to get all the teachers trained up on online and just embrace that and do it really quickly uh, and home piano teacher for that matter but yeah we did, did it, it worked quite well now there's laptops and those laptops ipads in every room and we learned a little bit of how to do things like instead of makeup lessons which is often a bane music teaching policy we now got rid of those and they've had this miss lesson tutorial that gets made by a teacher you put it out and now everyone can see it as well as the student it's just it solved a lot of problems i don't think that never would have discovered that if it wasn't for for covid so you're playing in the lazy lazy lays lazy lays and what would you say that's the most interesting band that you've played in or are playing in i guess you sort of have to say that now or best band. <laughs> <Is it laughs> well, I mean, it's one of the only bands I'm playing in now too, but what it has done is, you know, I, I would sing my own songs, I guess, in the past, but I've never really, I've always sang harmonies, but I've never sang lead vocals or tried to be any sort of front person. I know mm. I'm not fronting the band, there's a Dizzy fronts the band and he does a great job of that, but almost like co-fronting it. So I've never been thrown into that. So it's more getting me out of my comfort zone in terms of doing that. So yeah. that's been really, really great. On the ships, you have such a great reaction. It's a perfect opportunity to do it when mm. you've got that audience that are really into it. It's such yeah, a and the energy must feed back and stuff. Too. Yeah, it makes good. such a difference getting some energy back, you know, and then you go and play, you know, a bar gig in Brisbane and <laughs> no one cares. It's like, yeah. you know, it's such a different world, you know. You think, we're bad again, we're bad again. <laughs> oh, no, that's right, I'm back in Brisbane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one claps. <laughs> <laughs> Can you turn it down? I'm trying to watch Origin. Yeah, 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 exactly. Look, do you ever think of what you're doing as a live performer, a, a form of education? Yeah, I do. Education for the audience or just in don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be anything. I guess, yeah, music education. I mean, obviously, you're you're playing the music. They're hearing something maybe for the first time. Yeah, exactly. Our repertoire is pretty diverse. I hadn't really listened to a lot of the Beatles. I mean, obviously, I knew their, their songs, but, like, never really played any. It's just given me a new appreciation for Beatles, Beach Boys, all the... They're actually quite complex tunes. Yeah, some yeah. of them. That was definitely an education for me is just visiting some different re- repertoire that I maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Have you ever gotten into the Bee Gees? Not really. They've done some amazing body of work besides their, you know, their disco hits. Mm. They've done some really good stuff. Bruce Highway got me into a lot of that and it's like, wow. I oh, did do a, uh, a last minute fill in for a Bee Gees cover band. So it was like oh. a reading gig. I think it was a New Year's Eve and it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I got a call to go and do it. So I was, I read it and then I was like, oh, I know this song, I know this song, I know this song. Did they do this one? Okay. Like, yeah, so, I mean, that should have got me into it, but... There's <laughs> <laughs> sort of obscure stuff too. It's got quite a good body of work. And look, just going back to the Bradsters for a moment, um, mm. where would you say that officially formed? I, my memory serves around 88, but I could be wrong. Like, when would you say you first 
use that word or did your first recording? Because I remember the whole... I still think it'd be like grade nine because I remember in grade eight. So when I was in grade eight, my brother Gavin was in grade 12. I think that's right. Anyway, he was either in grade 11 or grade 12. I used to hang out with all his friends because I thought it was cool to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. But also he had a band called The Funk Rats. I've heard of that. Yeah, and uh, that Josh Thompson played bass in it. Oh, right. That's what I was going to say, The Funk Rats. Richard Todd Todd was on Ah, drums. okay. Cameron Brown was playing trumpet. Oh, and, and uh, Andrew Sorensen was playing trumpet. As oh, well. really? Yeah. Okay. So, did you guys play like at Mary Street or something? Or I remember that with the Travel Lodge. Did you guys? Be no, like, no, no. That was. Um, you might be thinking of Chicken Sandwich. I don't know. I'm or, just thinking of venues around that time. Yeah, yeah that might have. Yeah. No, I, I don't think we did a couple of gigs, but they were not really in any, any venues that I recall. Where were you? Oh, I think we did like a few weddings or something. Oh, know. I see. Yeah. Right. Either that or we're playing on assembly, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but I get the feeling that I heard that maybe Sam was like following me around or something or all through grade eight or something. And oh, I, I don't I, know. I, 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 I wouldn't. That's and, news to me. And anyway, I think <laughs> I think he eventually wore me down or something, and, and we ended up, you know, being friends and everything. And then he his obviously he was friends with Tom, and then that sort of started, I suppose. I always felt like you know it was really Sam and Tom, and I was kind of not along for the ride. But I think they found my life uh, humorous or something. <laughs> <laughs> Or, uh, you know, what, what, which, right, there's, which, a del- there's an element of humor and, yeah, and all of this that's kind of can't be under <laughs> which state. Uh, particularly, which I girl I was trying to get in with that, oh, okay, that yeah, week yeah, or something, yeah. you know, yeah. or, you know, and the other thing was those, those two are very quick in terms of being spontaneous. Mm. Um, mm. whereas I'm not like I have to go away and think about stuff. So I'm not good at if someone throws me something, uh, in terms of maybe not so much music, but like in terms of coming up with something funny or something. It's like, I just, <laughs> Throw I just you a bone because yeah. I'll, I'll be back in a week. Yeah. It's like a- yeah, I need to ponder on it, whereas th- those two are great. And we were spot- inspired by Roy and HG. Yeah, I was, going, I was actually thinking of bringing that up. I thought so, Roy and HG is an integral part of uh, you guys, but I, I don't mm. know how it connects. But Well, we, we found it funny and just that banter, I guess. There was a lot of that in the Radsters as well. Yeah, it was that famous quote you guys used to say, the, the inspiration starts when the... Inspiration starts when the tape recorder stops, which yeah, yeah obviously means you know keep the recorder running because because uh, when you turn it off, it all start. That's when it yeah, well, you're going to well, miss miss something really good. And also uh, the other one was uh, let's rewind that and see how it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably common common of uh, other experiences of people doing similar thing. There must be whole bunches of people making cassette tapes mm-hmm. with their mates and stuff. But you, you guys took it to some a special art form. Yeah. Um, there was one, I think I was going to mention yeah. some of my uh, favourite albums. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There was the, well, there were two Christmas albums and then there was um, the Bribey tape, which you were on. Oh, oh. was the that one the one on the singing, pipes? Yeah, it was singing oh, the pipes. I forgot about that. And it, that was with Katie as well. And David Ringrose? Wasn't he, he, David Ringrose involved with the pipes at Bribey? I've got a memory of that. Maybe, yeah. And there was the Boxing Day, which was at your place. At and, my place. Yeah, and I think I think your parents had people around there. Gordon Street, Gordon Street, you're talking. Gordon Street. Park, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Oh, yeah, there's, we've got, yeah, there's like Katie's on TV and those songs. That had, um, let's have chanter. a game of pool. There's a chant and Bruce Highway was there, I think. Yeah, yeah, the chant. Yeah, there was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got. Chanter. <laughs> There was uh, Nibbles as well. That's when we came over to your place and I think your dad was cooking dinner for us. Yeah. Cooking Nibbles. Oh, it was baked beans, I think. <laughs> <laughs> From memory. Probably some of my favourite ones are when you're involved, actually. Yeah, I remember the Pipes one. I remember there was some 
the cool stuff. I remember uh, David Ring David Ningnose. Mm. I was like, is his real name Ringrose or Ningnose? <laughs> Ringrose. It's Ringrose, isn't it? Yeah. This is these nicknames that stick for you remember forever incorrectly. <laughs> that was a nickname. Sorry, Dave. Yeah, I remember him saying, oh, I wish I recorded this. Pro- or maybe it was at Mount Cutha. There was another time we were doing really similar stuff to the pipes and he said, oh, I wish I had a recording of this or oh. brought my stuff. In. Anyway, but yeah, didn't one of the tapes get wiped or does it still exist? Yeah, I remember going down to the beach with a portable cassette. Someone had it. Yeah. And someone actually went into the ocean with it as well or like only ankle deep it wasn't very oh, far. possibly yeah there was a lot of wind as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's yeah. another one that um it was pretty much sam and tom made called nifty 50 which oh, is for your right. mom's 50th yeah that's right she turned that 50. was really good nifty 50 there yeah. was a wonder boy one too i remember there was some ones done with that me. that was yeah. off nifty 50 yeah that's off nifty 50 okay james is the wonder boy i was just i said i need to get a wonder boy i got mr do at home but i really need to get wonder boy oh mr do it's great do you like mr do yeah it's one of my favorite games <laughs> Uh, <laughs> don't know whether to believe you, but no, I'd like no, to believe true. you. No, it's true. <laughs> Anything else with those those words to There were a couple of it's so self referential, but like we also did some commentary albums. So we'd listen to our recordings and make commentaries on it. See, that's just like, it's like social media. It's like what they do on TikToks now, isn't it? You make a song and then they start commenting over the top of the song or reacting to them. And I, I don't understand how you can get famous by reacting to a song. But it's like that Gogglebox show as well, like watching people watch TV. It's like, wow. But it's big on, like, do, do you follow TikTok much? No. Or? There's a thing called duetting where someone's done a TikTok. It's whatever it is, a cat jumping into a barn or, or someone dancing. And then it's got a guy on the, you duet them. So you can just put your picture next to them and it's you reacting to whatever they've done mm. and sometimes it's the most banal stuff it's just like ding ding and it gets all this follows and likes for someone's reaction to you i guess you've seen both at the same time well, i think it that all that sort of stuff comes down to personality it's like it's obviously something about the person who's reacting has a, a personality that people find interesting or, or, mm. something, or funny or whatever and i sometimes guess it's not even funny it's yeah there's something drawing an attention about it so like you guys are doing that Back then in a different form. And Sam actually transcribed yeah, I was, a lot of the tapes, uh, word for word. Yeah, I remember that. I remember <laughs> finding them. Yeah, I, What are you doing, Sam? Just writing out what we recorded. Yeah, but why? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, he he's, must be an amazing typist. Um, was I, he typing them, was he? I thought he was handwriting them. Oh, maybe, no, maybe I think he did he was various ways. Them. Actually, I was thinking about that. I actually had a job for a little while. Couple of years ago, <laughs> skills. These skills finally come. Yeah. Was, well, yeah. I, I was um I was transcribing court proceedings. So oh okay. So you'd get the audio of the courtroom, and you'd have four different microphones that you'd have to transcribe, and you could turn them on and off. And it was really really difficult. You had to not only write down what they were saying and who was saying it. It had to be grammatically. They had all these these rules you had to follow. How it was to be set out and everything. They mm. refer to court documents and that sort of thing that you had to look up. And Don't they do like shorthand at the same time? Yeah, they do. Oh, there's, there's a stenographer right. in the courtroom, and they have a special machine that has all shortcuts and stuff, and that's how they keep up with it. But this is for clients who want the audio of the of the court. Yeah. Of the case or whatever. I, I found that quite challenging, so I don't do it anymore. But yeah. <laughs> it was, too, it, was there some sort of time pressure about it? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the quicker you got it done, the more you got paid. So Oh, okay. Or the more you got, the more of them you got done, the more you got paid. So hmm. I was just taking too long to do it. So it wasn't worth my while in the end. But, um, hmm. you know, maybe <laughs> Sam should do that. <laughs> well, there's still, like, in all the social media and content making stuff, there's, there's calls for that, like... Um, even myself, uh, we just hired a media producer here at Vincent Music and, you know, they're, they're basically doing basic videographer stuff at the moment, but eventually we need to make, you know, written form and, and text from that 
And it, yeah, it means someone having to sit there and, and transcribe. Well, I'm sure there's automated, there's already apps and things that can do that now, aren't there? There's a, Actually. there's a dictation in the, like, you know, Outlook or something now. You can, you can actually just speak your email and it writes it out mm. for you. So that's pretty cool. So myself, the video, I must be able to do it off video of YouTube. Anyway, yeah, I should be doing <laughs> that. It save a lot of someone, yeah, Paul, someone like you, yourself, a whole lot of unnecessary work. Is there something that you're doing with the Radsters that was some sort of, self-education and happening to you and also for Tom and Sam? Or is that a bit of a long bow? But Well, I mean, we've, we've discussed the influence of, you know, suggesting other music to listen to. Actually, that, that kind of almost came full circle because Sam, in his trio, he supported Bill Frizzell when he came out. Like, Trichotomy. Yeah, so yeah, last, yeah. Last, last year, I think that was. I think I was the one who sort of, you know, said, oh, you should listen to Bill Frizzell, he's pretty cool. So, and then he ended up supporting him, so that's pretty cool. Was he the one who had, it's like a Massive Attack song, back off that White Lines album, 1990. That was Wally Batterow, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I remember you coming and telling me that and I saying, really? And yeah, it was like that just pretty much lifted the whole well, Wally thing. Batterow, <laughs> Wally Batterow, see this LP of Level 42 in front of him. Oh, yes. He, yeah. he was like the fifth member of, of uh, Level 42. He was like a... He oh, did, so he's from Level 42. Well, he, so much attention he was sort of like a... He's like uh, a bit like you with the Radsters. He was like the unofficial like oh, okay. fourth, fourth member or fifth member. You know? Oh, I'm very, <laughs> so, I'm very um, yeah, honoured to be thought of that way. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, I thought that someone like name would have been or uh, there must have been a bunch. There was yeah, a lot okay. of alumni. Yeah, it's like David, <laughs> David, David Ringrose. David Ringrose, yeah. John, you know, John Green. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone had a turn on the... That computer-generated voice. We did a, a recording with uh, Amber Hansen as well. That's right. So, um, Anthill Street, right? Anthill yeah. Street. And Stephanie Forbes, she was on a couple playing violin as well. A lot of people got dragged into our sphere of influence i guess <laughs> which was really cool it was a breeding ground of creativity and i guess you could think of it as like ultra nerding at the time but gee so much positive stuff came out of that it's kind of like it, at the same time we were going to school and playing in the concert band and orchestra mm. doing the, the serious stuff and then we'd have this outlet for the silly <laughs> stuff you know? so it's cool yeah one needed the other perhaps i don't know yeah it's good balance <laughs> but um that's another thing like i don't think You'd know about Wally Batterow if it wasn't for me suggesting Level 42 to Sam, you know, because of the bass player, Mark King, the bass player. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's all that sort of thing. The lineage. And we wouldn't have known about it. My brother found out about Level 42 on the ta- that Tasmanian tour because the guy he was billeted with was playing it. Oh, was Gavin at the Tasmanian tour? Yeah, he must have been. Where do we go? We went to like Launceston. Bernie. Bernie. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I think that, that might be it. Sheffield, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I remember they were into moccasins. They were all wearing like moccasin shoes. Do you remember that? The kids oh, wearing. Oh, it was, it was this kind of shoe. It was just like a. I think it was like an animal skin or a fake animal skin. And it was. Okay, why are you guys wearing all this? Like they said, oh, it's just what everyone wears. I guess they were kind of warmer, but we didn't have them up in Brisbane. I remember it being very cold. Anthea French. She was playing double bass. Yeah, I remember Anthea. Yeah, um, she was a nice, she, nice person. Well, I think she lives back down there now, but she's originally really? from Tasmania. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, That's right. Double, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it just cause and effect, really. <laughs> <laughs> but also with the Radsters, I suppose, because we did so much improvising musically together, I guess we learned how to play off one another's ideas and, and come up with stuff on the spot. So, like, we, I don't think we ever really tried to play other people's songs or anything, really. It was no, all, not at all. We weren't a cover band as such. And if it was, it'd become quite... It'd be like Kylie Twisty or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Philip Glass or something. But, Poor yeah. Katie, though. Katie's on TV. Uh, I remember. Like, what do you make of the idea? What do you think about the idea of um, this is ultimate radster, but I can relate 
and maybe it rubbed off on me or maybe it was the same way of thinking. idea of making up songs about other people, often people who are close to you, people you know, your family or friends. For me, I often find it's the most inspired way I still work Like, and I can I do other stuff like making up songs about Alan Clark, for example. I got passionate about that with for about a year and a half on the Moist Rackers album. It's like the people around you and they are really inspiring. My dad used to call it, it's like you're looking through other people's windows or eyes. I think uh, depending on the content, it's probably flattering to have a song written about you, but they also <laughs> say write, write about what you know and, you know, it's it's a good starting point. If you pick a person that you know, then it's, it's going to be easy for you to do that, I guess. We made a couple of albums for a girl at school called Lucy Griggs. Just I, don't remember, I remember the other one, like Leslie Chan, and I remember oh, yeah. all these other people, but I don't remember her. I don't know if she appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Robert LaBusque appreciated his song either. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. But it was all a good fun, so we were, we were never out to Yeah, it was always, in, it was always done out of... Um, it was like a, almost a parody of us. I think we were laughing at ourselves more than anything. So Yeah, because it's sort of satirical, but it's a... I mean, I've got this memory, too, of Bribie. Me and Tom walked home from Bribie once. Yes. And I think you were there. And I remember it used to amaze me how you'd just go to sleep on the floor randomly. Oh. But why do you go to sleep on the floor? Like it's two in the afternoon or ten in the morning. Like, why are you going to sleep? You told me you're doing gigs and you're always... Oh, I was probably micro working. sleeps yeah. I was probably doing gigs and working at a music store as well five days a week. So I think Elloways? Yeah, Elloways. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was pretty tired, I guess. That's where we get these sleeps. So that's a- <laughs> I was working at the working at the Cherm side, the uh, the deli at came at Coles there. Oh, well. were you? I was working there before I worked at Elloways, yeah. We were talking before about Jaden Sample. It had a massive influence on me. It was made in 1985. I sent you that sh- uh, shot. Yeah. It was an SK-1. SK had 8-bit sampler. I spent a lot of time with it, learning to make beats with it, learning to rap over it. My brother started with it. I do remember at one point he was saying, he'd, he'd sample him saying, Craig, Craig, <laughs> Craig, 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 and playing that. And um, I remember you saying that. I remember my, me saying that too, but I do remember. <laughs> However, one day after many requests, Jaden kept wanting it back. I didn't want to give it back. He didn't really lend it to me, lend it to Sam, but I was having so much. It was just like a whole world to me. And eventually, he took one day I wasn't there, he came up and just knocked on the door and demanded it back, and it was given to him. Oh. And the romance was over with that sample. Have you ever tried to track one down? Yeah, I had a second one, and then I gave it away. I don't know why I gave that away, because they're going for about 200 bucks on eBay now. 200 yeah. That much? Mm. Oh, that must be in good. <laughs> I'm sure they're in good working. Well, that picture I sent you was from an eBay. Oh, okay. So 195. That looks in good, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever mess with that? I don't think so. No, I, I didn't really get into the sampling thing. I was just more about sort of effects and delay pedals and that sort of thing. But I like the delay loops. I like, uh, yeah, I've got a Korg. I've still got it. It could get 12 seconds of delay, which was big in the late 90s. And you end up turning that into a sort of a, a layered sample almost. Mm. There was a, a pedal that guitarist Bill Frizzell used. It was an eight second. Well, he originally had a, a 16 second delay, but the one I've got's that he used the eight second one. And then once you've looped it, you got your loop, you can change the pitch of it and the speed. So it's like a tape machine. I mean, if you do it fast, you could slow it down and get even more. Yeah. yeah. So you can yeah. drop it by an octave or, or mm. somewhere in between and you can layer that. And it's, it's, it's good for making soundscapes and that kind of thing. That's some of this. The sampler could only sample this SK one, I think for two, one and a half seconds. Yeah. Right. But you quickly learn. Yeah. You do something fast, play it a couple octaves down and suddenly you got this longer beat, but it. With that kind of sound, nonetheless, but and it's, it, I guess because of the the low quality of it, it has its own sound. You know, 
Yeah, it had a certain punch. At that time, it sucks. And then you realise there's people these days look trying to get that kind of sound. I remember you doing gigs at Chermside, the old Centrelink office. Um, yeah, that was Sean Tells. Yeah, I remember I was very flattered. When I was eating at a restaurant, you said, oh, come over and play if you want. I go, really? Yeah, I sat down for a couple of minutes and then you said, you came back and said, oh, my manager doesn't like it. You're going to have to have to get off. Yeah. Oh, okay. But um, and it was like Richard Todd on drums and... Yeah, uh, we, we had um, Mick Skelton on drums. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was, I don't know, how, I think he actually got us the gig. Okay. I think he, I don't know yeah. how we, because he, he went to Wavell Heights. Really? And, yeah. And somehow he must have known Sam somehow and, and he's like, oh, do you it want It was to- a QT because uh, he came there for a Oh, I don't, he maybe, might have been in his year. Maybe I remember him coming. I feel like in. we were still at high school when this was happening. Oh, but I don't know. I can't. Remember. It did seem early on, actually. Yeah, yeah it was I mean, like 90, 92 maybe. So okay. Grade eleven for us. So. It's first year for me, uni. Okay, which is pretty funny, really. That we were playing at a restaurant. You know, some high school kids. Some, yeah, <laughs> get some high school kids in. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was so. I was playing piano, and I remember my dad was he'd drive me to the gig, and anyway, <laughs> I, I think. You know, Mick, Mick's pretty cheeky. And, and, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And anyway, I think they had a bit of a falling out and we, we got fired. So Fair enough. So <laughs> it was interesting. And I think that's the day that we invited everyone to come and watch us as well. It's the day we got fired. The final day. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I hope I didn't contribute to that. I'm sorry, Craig. No, yeah. it's all right. It's all it is what best. it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember my dad, GP in the Grange, had his final day, time to leave, I had this neighbour who ran this business and he kept turning the radio up really loud. My parents couldn't sleep anymore. It went on and on and on. Do you remember that? They, uh, I don't know about the radio, no. 4KQ, Blair. Eventually they had to move houses over. That's why they ended up moving to Bribie. It's pretty bad. And then... It was that loud. Yeah, well, they did it on purpose because they complained. We're running a juice business and it was in a suburban area, so they'd get the trucks at like 2 and 3 in the morning to load... Um, it was making a big noise, so my dad complained, and because of that, then they retaliated by playing the radio. And there was never anyone there. They just put the, leave the radio there going, but just loud enough so only they, because they knew the bedroom window was there, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be loud enough to cause a noise complaint the rest of the street. Anyway, yeah, dad left the business. Uh, he hired a band. I don't mean hired. We, he asked us to play, and it was a throw together. It was like just outside of surgery there. It was myself. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was you and Tom. Yeah. Is there anyone else? Sam would have been there, I guess. Well, you think that, but uh, you think that. There's possibly. a couple of photos of it. Oh, really? Somewhere. Okay. So we could check that out. Do you remember the guy? I remember us playing Caravan. <laughs> oh, I st- good. I'm glad we played, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we played Caravan. I just um, remember if you re- re- remember anything from today. I remember previous guests we had on here, Danny Tesla. His dad came in for a final dad, you know, patient of my dad's at the time and yeah. walked in and said, oh, Daniel Thompson's dad is coming in. We're play, playing his band outside of surgery and they find a little bit of footpath. I, I remember being there, but maybe I was playing clarinet if we did Yeah, clarinet. I've got a vague of you not doing your usual, usual instrument, like bass or keys or something. Yeah, okay. I don't remember a lot about that. I remember that you played at my 21st, which was cool. Okay. That was in my backyard. That was with Dan Quigley. and. Oh, that was the DJ Sam. one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you were playing piano in the band as well. Yeah, I remember that. I remember Dan quickly turning, saying, "You know how to play this, James." And I remember thinking, "Yeah, kind of not. Yeah, kind of not." It was like it was just a blue. It was like all blues or something. Yeah, I, I, I think, knew most of the chords, but there was still a third. I didn't. I think know. they just had the real book out, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Sam Bates was on drums, and and, wow. and I was playing bass. Yeah. Okay. 
So I've actually got photos of that. I'll send them to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah I remember and, that night. Yeah, and you were you were DJing, and um, I remember you dropped the country practice. It was awesome. Oh, Did I? Yeah, it was pretty. Man, fun. I'm watching that. I'm binge watching that at the moment. Oh, really? I've never seen it before. I yeah. used to love the song, and yeah, yeah, it's come up on Channel Seven. So me and my wife watch it go to sleep, and yeah, country oh. practice. That's pretty. They cover some pretty tough topics. Hey, I look back at it now. Did you ever watch Country Practice? I probably did, but I don't remember. <laughs> I do remember the thing. Dark, dark moments for like a PG show or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I just okay, re- so I just yeah. remember that when you put that on, I, I, yeah, I found it very funny. Mixed emotions. Yeah. Mixed, yeah. <laughs> mixed emotions. Yeah, I remember saying, yeah, it was all lounge was in at the time. It was like, you play some lounge music and this and that and the other. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that, but I... Yeah, I seem to remember maybe some other jam. I remember you guys going in under the house later that night. I don't know if there was like a jam with you and your brother. There probably would have been, yeah. Something else that was happened inside. I remember the stuff outside. I found, I've found. i been going through old answer machine. I've kept a lot of uh, archives of answering machine messages. Oh, great. And there was someone from that party who then tried to... It was the beginning of a band I was in called Seven Step Fetish with uh, uh, Gavin Carfoot, Matt Connolly and uh, Chris... What's his name on, on keys? And, um, oh... Jeff, Jeff Green was drumming at the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it was at that party. She was, yeah, she, she was looking for musicians and that was one. She got me on board as a DJ. So, yeah, it's, that oh, was so good for the experience. Yeah, well, we formed, yeah, formed that connection at least to another, you know, how those things yeah. work. So yeah. that was good. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I have a funny memory, I have a f- funny feeling I might have picked you up from your place. And driven you to the- Yeah, me and my brother and our licenses were not, yeah, we took a long time to get them. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I was the only one with the license at the time of the Radsters, so it was always in the Sigma, you know. Yeah, the Sigma, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you fit enough, you ever tried carrying percussion in the Sigma? No, I never had the, no, the, had the pleasure. pleasure. No. <laughs> Just oh, Radsters. Yeah. Jokes. Oh, yeah, you lent me that tape, uh, Duke Ellington and John Coltrane. Um, that totally changed my life. That really got me into jazz. That's when I really started to take the monk. Oh, not monk. It was, it, was monk. A, it was a monk on one side and Ellington John Coltrane on the other. It was an amazing tape. I think it was, yeah, um, it was John Coltrane playing with monk. That's what I remember it was. But there might have been something on the other side. I think side. there was a, yeah, there was that. And I'm pretty sure on the other side there was Ellington. Like Satin Doll and. No, something. There's a train. Take the A train? Not the, not take the A train, no. Um I was in a sentimental mood. Oh yeah. But that was Coltrane, was it? That was Ellington, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there was there was the thing with it in the sentimental mood and I had the cover of it. I, I had it and I've sold it. I really hate to get rid of my records. But yeah, anyway, that, that was a big influence on me. Yeah, between Monk and that. It was like, wow. Yeah, you so get, got really got into Monk, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Especially after that. Yeah. I think that was a turning point for me. Oh, Vijay. Have you heard of Vijay Liar? No. He, he's been studying his stuff. Bruce Highway got me into him because it was like uh, he was really into Monk and he's also into Public Enemy. Mm. But he was very, you know, very established jazz player. And you listen to his stuff and you can really hear the influences of like Bomb Squad from Public Enemy production coming into the, the loops of the, the way the band played. Very sort of disjointed grooves, mm-hmm. I guess. He's been, yeah, the last couple of years, the last 10 years, I should say, some of his albums are amazing. Anyway, 
that was a good full circle way for me. But anyway, <laughs> that tape, yeah, and I ended up losing that tape. I, went on, I was in a band called Serenity, so it was a hip-hop dub band, and we went on a tour and I left it in the cassette of the hype car, so some, uh, some other guy might have got that. I ended up buying the albums anyway, yeah. which I may or may not have sold. I think I've sold them. Anyway, I should never have sold all that vinyl. I suppose with that, um, you know, you're saying you've obviously had your own experience of people suggesting music for, to you as well. I don't find that happens so much these days, and I think there's just so much music out there that I'm a little bit overwhelmed by it all, or mm, maybe it's getting older or something, but I don't really find myself seeking out new stuff anymore, and I'm not, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. I just think oh, I should probably listen to something new, but... I don't know. It's it's very you've rare. Had all this, it's like your cup filleth over. You've you've had all these years of it. It's probably about to say, you know, I'm happy in this. I've I've heard a lot of this, and and plus mm. some of these younger bands, whatever coming up. You've heard something like it. Something like that that you, that satisfies what you're looking for. Yeah, I just wonder if it's yeah. Is it just you know a never-ending cycle of of uh, is anything new anymore? It's like I don't know. So. It's just something I'm I'm aware of, and I'm like, am I stagnating by? It's like you you hear those guys that go, oh, I don't listen to anything but classic rock or something. It's like, and I don't want to hear anything else. But I guess that's tied back to their their upbringing and memories of their lives that make them happy or whatever. And you yeah, know, you get caught. Yeah, do you, you get, get caught get older. In, a, in a decade or something? I don't know. I mean, I must admit that's why I do like about teaching with students. So I'll ask. I'll, I'll often say. Because the classic thing you say, I've learnt not to say now is, how are you going? Because the classic robot answer is, good, and that's it. I try to ask them stuff like, what did you do at big lunch? They don't call it big lunch or little lunch anymore. It's always second lunch or first lunch. Also, you know, what, what have you been listening to? And that often just educates me, especially if you're trying to reverse engineer. You're doing your exam pieces or whatever, and then you say, well, I might teach them something they know or familiar with. So that's often good education. They can school you up if they yeah. feel like revealing that information to you. Yeah, that's a good idea. Keeps it a bit fresh, you know, yeah. for what's going on. Like, there's a guy I've done some duo gigs with, Alex Crook. He's a great singer-songwriter. You know, he's pretty young, mid-20s. You know, I'm doing these cover gigs with him. I was like, I don't know half these songs, and they're all, it's all new stuff. It's like, mm. And I'm like, wow, I've just got so much. I feel like there's always catching up to do, but then, I don't know, do I have to? No, you don't <laughs> <Yeah>. have to. <laughs> It'd probably ne- it'd probably organically inevitably happen when it does. And if if you're doing it and gigging and stuff, it's often you get caught in this bubble of you know what you're doing. It's hard to take time. Even as a DJ, I remember doing that uh, transcontinental four nights a week, and you kind of get you get to a point where you can, you can get sick of music. Probably find that sometimes. I don't know. You might find that as a player too. It's like I, I just want to hear some silence for a while. Actually. Yeah. Well, it's like doing that <laughs> those cruise ships. It's like you're playing every night pretty much you know mm. for for a week, and then it's. You can have a week off, then go back on the ship, and it's high energy stuff, and you know it's it's loud and exciting. But then after a while, you're just like, oh, I just need some time to to chill. So <laughs> yeah, and I realise it's we've been going quite a long time there, Craig. So I don't want to. Oh, that's all right. Go over. I wouldn't mind asking you, how do you think collecting music has shaped you as a musician? I, I remember on new music tours, you'd have new cassettes. You're one of the few kids only with a maybe a CD Walkman. The time oh, in high school, so you'd have that was Gowan's, yeah. Oh, you borrowed, okay. He used to let me borrow it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and of course, the sting and the spiragora stands out. I guess the police sting, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess for me, or that your question was, yeah, CDs and cassettes. I mean, yeah, so me, it's vinyl, what, in any any format. For me, you know, when I I guess started listening to music a lot, I would look at who was the musicians who were playing on the albums, and that would lead me to the next album. So I'd follow this, like, okay, so this drummer i like he's playing on this album who else has he played with and i'd, I'd sort of follow the trail of a, a certain musician rather than, it, it didn't really matter who the artist was but then inadvertently i got exposed to that artist as well so um 
or you'd notice a certain bass player and a certain drummer would play together on sessions a lot, that sort of thing. So One um, orbit would lead to another orbit yeah. to a new solar system, so to speak. Yeah. Mm. So that's kind of how I discovered things. I, um, that's the path I sort of took, you know, if I liked. So reading the liner notes of records yeah. and cassettes and CDs. Yeah, which you don't get now if you're buying, you know, Spot or Spotify, you, you wouldn't know. So. Well, it's, fairly, it's there. It's fairly limited, I guess. You, you get a bit of it, but not 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 in that detail. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a digger's way. It's like a vinyl record collectors can get called diggers. Um, so it's a way I've heard that you know how did you know how did you discover this? And I go, I, I read this album cover and saw this bass player, and then I follow that. that yeah, that tracing of the lineage there. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, could even be down to the the artwork on the front of the album. It's like that draws you in. It's like, oh, this looks, this just appeals to me for some reason. Maybe the music's going to be good too. I don't know. And that's another chance you take, I guess. I mean, I used to go to the record market in, in Queen Street Mall. Yeah, that's that, right. That secondhand section, I used to, I wouldn't call myself a digger, but I used to go and buy records. Look yeah, at records, and it was yeah. only like, well, it's only $2, so it's like, you know, hmm. <laughs> it used to be $2 for a secondhand record once. And that brings me to the point where I don't know what year, but it showed up in one of my memories. I took a photo of the day I was over your house and there's that record. You, you sold me some of your records. You said, oh, why don't you come over? And yeah. I can't remember actually the conversation, but I was over, I was lucky enough you to let me over and buy some of your <laughs> <Let> records you <laughs> yeah i was just hungry for that i don't know do you remember what year that was i have to look at my facebook memories but i think it was um i believe it was at albany creek right possibly so that would have been maybe 2009 2010 oh wow well yeah. way back then yeah that sounds about right i think it was around then i was, I was really hungry i got the double the warana yep. seven inch Mm-hmm. The Warana. And I, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a bunch of stuff, TV ads. And uh, inadvertently, I, I bought some of your records. Or you let me have it very cheap. That was very generous of you. And although to you at the time, you were kind of like decluttering as people would do. Yeah. Well, I think I'd got rid of the turntable and I still had all these records. I was like, oh. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, and you, you're communicating before the session and you're saying, because I'm selling all my records, I'm still selling records on Discogs, and you, I said, why don't you just look through and see which ones you like. I'll try to bring a crate in, but I couldn't. it's heavy to bring them all in. Yeah. And, yeah, you're buying some of the records back that you sold to me. Which, yeah. Uh, Makes me feel a bit bad. Yeah, so I'll have to work that out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what do we got? We got there's like a level level forty two. Yeah. Level fororty two standing in the light. Yeah. Ravi Shankar. Ravi Shankar and Ali Akbar. Yeah. Very, very cool. Well, yeah, well, what do you like about these two? Oh, and John Farnham, I'm sorry, um, I couldn't – I went looking for the age of reason that you were. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry to mention. You it's lost good, the age of reason. Well, it's one of these – yeah, I may have already sold because I went looking through it. It's not there in my thing. So I, I think I've sold it and I hadn't relisted it properly or something, so I'm sorry about it. I don't actually have that one. That's okay. But what, what do you like about uh, – yeah, what about that Level 42 album, Standing in the Light? Well, I'd actually have to remind myself what, what tracks are on this. But, I mean, mm. Level 42 as a band in general, like they're a UK pop band, but their big thing was they had to, their lead singer was an amazing bass player, or is, uh, Mark King. So mm. very into, like, not just slap, but like a lot of finger style, pretty fast kind of funky grooves, a few cheesy keyboard lines here and there. But ultimately it was about the bass playing for me. Um, it was good, yeah. I'm, I, I listened to these. I think this is this is good stuff. Um, like their 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 first album, um, I think it was just called Level Forty Two, but it's got some instrumental stuff on it, and um, and that's where Wally Wally Batterow comes in, and he he does all this sort of atmospheric keyboard stuff over the top of it. It's very cool. Okay, yeah. So it, it it's not so much. It's not really jazz fusion. It's a bit kind of pop pop fusion, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's jazz, but it's, yeah. 
It's interesting. And the Ravi Ravi Shankar. Ravi Shankar. I I don't really remember uh, why I got this. I might have been like, oh, I'll listen to some sitar or something. Or through John Lennon phase. Yeah. Or or I think I did buy some some cheap tablas, which I still have. Yeah, like I used to love the tablet. Like I, I can't play obviously, but but I still have them. And I thought, oh, you know, there's a, there's a picture of a guy playing tablets on the front cover, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll listen to this. Mm. But what I didn't plan on uh, was Ali Ali Akbar was playing the instrument called this uh, Sarod. It's like this fretless instrument. Is and that Ali Akbar Khan? Or? Same guy. I I, I remember re- uh, I got this New Age CD and he played some Ripper sitar once. Yeah, when that name popped up, I thought, wow. See, so, I, I could swear I didn't realize it came from you. I could swear I got that from somewhere else, but it probably did come from you because I, oh, I remember I used to have it and I don't have it. You now, don't have so. it. It must have been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now I have it again. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely listen to that again. It was great. Just um, something that takes me completely out. Like Indian classical music is just like so different to what I'm usually listening to and mm. you know it's great to just see, see what else is possible with music it's great so you don't really recall that incident the last time i thought i saw you was in the press club in around 2012 13 but you don't remember it was randomly i was playing still playing vinyl i just starting the the separation i just lost my job going through a massive pivot in my personal life but then and you popped up in the bar and i thought oh this is cool i'm actually i'm just doing something i love it was 100 bucks a night i was playing with a band called boss productions uh, Roman Albert and Greg Stewart, Sea Monkey, and there were that. Yeah, I had to sort of play in between, but they let me scratch with the band too. I mean, you rocked up there, Rand. I think you were still living in. Th- you were on a holiday from Thailand or, yeah, I, or something. Yeah, I was um, living in Thailand for two years, and then mm. I came back for I think maybe a month or something like that. So yeah, I would have gone to the press club. Maybe the, I don't think I knew you were going to be there, but I think there was just a random. I was probably going to the Bowery or something, watching a band. Or the press club and, and um, saw you there. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> random. <laughs> but Brisbane's a pretty small place too. Yeah. Especially the valley, so. How, how do you think your love of Sting and Spiragyra shaped you as a musician? <laughs> <laughs> That's, they come as a package. It's, yeah. <laughs> Can't separate the two. I think it was John Zappier, my clarinet teacher, who got me into Spiragyra. And he probably got me into Sting and he got me into, well, I think Sam started the Pink Floyd thing, but he, John was a um, Pink Floyd fan as well. So. When? Oh, okay. Yeah, because I got into Pink Floyd and I got momentary laps on vinyl around 88 and Bruce Highway introduced me to Dark Side of the Moon. It took me ages to get into that, but uh, right. then I got into momentary laps and yeah, I wonder if Sam had that off cassette and lent that to you, the whole cassette. I believe it was, I'm pretty sure it was a CD he lent me, mm, but okay. it could have been, been, been vinyl as well. I don't know. I'd have, I'd be, I think it was a CD, but anyway. Mm. Yeah. I'd put that down to, yeah, maybe, maybe John Zappier was a big influence there in terms of getting me into that stuff but you know Sting's obviously great songwriter and mm. just I just like the sound of his production the musicians that he used and all that sort of thing so you know I guess he's pretty up there in the terms of the music that I would regard as being good or you know or would like to make did you ever get into uh, Johnny Johnny Hammond no Johnny Hammond Gears album or um, Bob James keyboardist no. That's some good stuff. Or uh, it was just you know, just remind me of some some tangents there. Or CTI jazz label stuff. No, I mean there's a lot of stuff I haven't listened to as well. You know, mm. I, I was sort of in terms of jazz, I was listening to Sparagara before I sort of was listening to Miles Davis. It's like kind of mm. I was listening to the fusion version of it before going back to earlier. But you know, it sort of sent me on that path of discovery. It's like okay, well, where does where does this come from and 
and finding Monk along the way. And <laughs> <laughs> Monk Stravinsky. Yeah. Oh, there's a, a version. There's a jazz playing doing the Rite of Spring. I forget their name. I've got it on vinyl. I did have it. I sold it. It's great. But yeah. Oh. Anything you want to say or on, on the way out? Like, have you got any? Well, I mean, we have been talking about the Radsters a lot. I think my time in the Radsters was pretty fun and. It's definitely, from an education perspective, I guess it's it's been very useful in terms of learning about music and life. being spontaneous and life. And, yeah, yeah. And also, being spontaneous. That's interesting you bring that up. Yeah, I never really saw that. Which is not something mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm spontaneous. Yeah, and you class people as like introverts and extroverts. Sometimes an introvert personality can lead to that. You're going away and having to think about which something I can relate to. I need it kind of written okay. out, pre-thought. It's harder to be spontaneous. I can kind of wing it, but it doesn't come naturally as it does to some others. I so mean, no. yeah, some situations then you can't put a foot wrong, but mm. it's there's no guarantee that's going to happen. But what about as an improviser? You must be, are you okay with your spontaneity as that? Or is it a bit, do you find yourself more pre-planned or pre-structured? Musically, or um, no, I'm pretty happy to, to dive in. So musically, but I guess uh, with expressing myself through words or whatever. You know. On a cassette with your... On a cassette, yeah. <laughs> at 3am. Yeah. <laughs> Jabot and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But you can get, you know, I mean, maybe I'm being too hard on myself, but like, um, yeah, I'm sure there were moments that, that I've contributed something there, but... I'm sure, yeah, I don't know, you're all over it, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I can't say enough, I mean, you know, with how Sam and Tom have, uh, you know, progressed and... and gone on to do bigger and better things and you know they're always a constant source of inspiration for me i mean tom's just amazing with his like he's got his finger in so many pies musically Mm, yeah um, yeah and he's so prolific as well it's like Mm. i I don't know how he has the time to do it you know so but he he just has that that will to do it i suppose and and it's not just churning out the same thing it's very complex especially his electronic stuff it's like must take a lot of time to put together. Yeah, I can't wait to have him. He's probably coming in next week, so I'd be interested to talk. I kind of don't know where to start with him. Like, there's there's yeah. the nostalgia, but there's all the stuff that's in this work. It might be part one and part two with him, you know. <laughs> well, it's like you said, yeah, so I haven't seen you guys for years, so let alone my own brother. So it's like, mm. wow, what are you doing now? Oh, and Sam tells me, he's like, holy moly, are you doing this now? Okay. Yeah. It's good to have stuff like It's like, uh, where are we at? Yeah. yeah. Mm. But it's good that that much time's gone that it is interesting. It's not like I'm still, I just left uni, you know. It's like, <laughs> still singing in the pipes. Yeah. Still, yeah. I'm driving yeah. yeah. <laughs> island. They, they built a nice resort out of that, I think, uh, which now looks aged. I think someone's thinking of uh, changing that up. Yeah. Anyway, look, Craig, yeah, well, uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on. It's been yeah. good catching yeah, up. Yeah, it has been. Hope to have you on again, hopefully in a, in a more... Even a more radster capacity where... Well, I'm up for it, so... Yeah. <laughs> I guess let the other I'm two come the to the table. I'll try but, and be spontaneous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're very spontaneous. You're agreeing to this. Oh, that, was, that was great. Oh, look, thanks for coming in, Craig, and this has been Episode 5 of Teaching Ears. Catch you all next time. <laughs>